this is a, a zombie pipeline that they've killed it before, but it's coming back to life. It uh, keeps on trying to come back to life. Welcome back to MCV Cast. I'm Aaron Murphy, Executive Director of Montana Conservation Voters, and that was Lance Forstar, an organizer for Western Native Voice. We'll hear from him as well as Rich Peterson of the Fort Peck Journal in a few minutes. We're talking with them about the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline currently underway in northeastern Montana. I'm joined by Deputy Director Whitney Taney in Bozeman and Political Director Jake Brown back in Helena after a few days exploring Montana's wilderness. Jake, where'd you go? What'd you see? That's right, Murph. I uh, spent some time exploring in the Bob Marshall Wilderness Complex, and it was incredible. I uh, spent a few days hiking into the Bob, and then a few days rafting down the South Fork of the Flathead. It was hands down one of the best adventures I've ever been on. It really, really, really made me appreciate just the value of wilderness in our state. Well, you crossed off something on my bucket list, too. Glad to have you back. Let's get to some headlines, because this week was full of them. Whitney Tani, let's stick with wilderness and an effort underway to rename one of Montana's biggest and most remote landmarks. Well, have you ever heard of the Chinese wall that's not in China? Well, there is an effort underway to rename the 50-mile-long Chinese wall in the Bob Marshall. We wanted to know more about the reason behind this push, so we called up one of the organizers of the organization, Rename Chinese Wall, former state representative Dan Fuchs of Billings. He tells us that this effort has nothing to do with what he called cancel culture, but rather because he and others behind this campaign believe the nation of China doesn't deserve to have an American landmark named after it. Another person behind that push, R.T. Day, said, quote, we want the name to reflect our local environment and communities in Montana and not a country that is now renowned for the outbreak of a killer virus that has swept across the globe. Anyway, These folks haven't settled on a new name, but this impressive section of the Continental Divide is sometimes referred to as the Cambrian Wall because the wall itself is made out of limestone. Thanks, Whitney. As the nation comes to terms with its history of giving disparaging names to places and celebrating historical figures who don't deserve much celebration, there was a move afoot, Jake, to rename a couple campgrounds as well. That's right, Murph. Uh, Chinaman's Campground and the Confederate Campground were going to have their names changed until the federal government reversed course on Wednesday, citing local feedback. The uh, Bureau of Reclamation had covered up the names of both sites with duct tape and had announced that they were going to change the names over concerns that they were offensive. We'll keep folks posted as we learn more. To the Montana Public Service Commission now and a surprising rebuke of Northwestern Energy. Whitney, what's that all about? Hot dang. Folks across the state are still in shock that the PSE actually stood up to Northwestern Energy on their new power plan instead of continuing to rubber stamp. Questioning the accuracy and adequacy of Northwestern's plan, the five-person regulatory commission suggested Northwestern failed to fully explore the value of renewable energy, like wind and solar, and that the plan included both input and modeling errors. The PSC added further critique to the plan, saying that Northwestern neglected to explore building extra energy transmission lines that could give the utility a strong ability to import energy into the state affordably. Northwestern Energy is now reviewing the commission's comments and will quote-unquote take the comments into consideration. This week, we noticed a new study in the journal Nature about the imminent threat that the climate breakdown poses to fish spawning. As temperatures rise, fish and their embryos are more vulnerable to extinction. Bad news for the many anglers in Montana. This study found that 
even if the climate warming is limited to the 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit that's uh, in line with the Paris Climate Accords, um, that would mean 10 to 15 percent of fish species will still remain under threat. Warmer water can limit the reproduction for fish species, reduces the survivability for the fish's embryos, and can even deplete the water of oxygen, producing dead zones where aquatic life can't survive. The solution? Well, the scientists behind the study say that the fish species would benefit from intensified efforts to stabilize global warming at the 2.7 degrees, or even less. As we know, the Dakota Access Pipeline through our state neighbors, North Dakota and Illinois, has inspired intense protests and legal battles. And this week, we actually have good news. A ruling by the U.S. District Court in D.C. essentially vacates a federal permit that has allowed the pipeline to operate while the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which has granted the permits for the pipeline, conducts an extensive environmental impact review. This is a huge win for members of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, whose reservation is less than a mile from the pipeline. They have long argued that a spill under the nearby Missouri River could pollute the water they rely on for fishing, drinking, and religious ceremonies. It is possible that after the Corps completes their assessment, construction may resume, so folks must stay vigilant. But in our world, which seems to be falling apart, this week's news is very welcome. The U.S. Supreme Court this week also weighed in on pipelines in America, and the news is bittersweet. On Monday, the court made it easier for energy companies to fast-track approvals of pipeline projects. That's the bitter news. The sweet part is justices excluded the Keystone XL pipeline from that decision. That means the KXL must still undergo a comprehensive environmental review. Despite several legal setbacks in recent weeks, construction on segments of the 1,200-mile KXL pipeline is still underway in northeastern Montana, And that's where we find today's guests. Today's guests, Rich Peterson, contributor to the Fort Peck Journal in Poplar, and Lance Forstar, an organizer for our friends at Western Native Voice. Mr. Forstar is also the chairman of the Fort Peck Assiniboine Council. Hello, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Let's start by... uh, Painting a picture here, what exactly is happening uh, along the planned route of of KXL? And uh, Rich, let's start with you. The pipeline is going, you know, from the Canadian border to Hinsdale, um, and it skirts the reservation right outside of Nashua, um, and that was purposely done to avoid any federal oversight. Right now, um, there, you know, the court ordered them to stop, but um, some of my sources say that there is still some activity going on. And they ignored the court last year and continued to build a bridge and an exit in Nashua for the larger trucks. So, you know, they don't really necessarily quit when the court says, you know, so they're they're kind they're kinda of looking at the White House as their their guide right now. Yeah, there's been a lot of stop and go on this thing. I, I know that various uh, uh, court decisions that are slowing this thing down. Um, so the last that we heard, there were crews building the pipeline across the actual border. Um, are you saying they're, they're kind of paused right now waiting for next steps, Rich? I, I think so. Um, you know, they, they didn't pause much last time. So we don't know. Maybe Lance might have more insight to that. He's been up there a few times. But, um as far as I know, I you know, there's no confirmation that they have paused. So, gotcha. What what are you seeing, uh, Mr. Chairman, in terms of of what's what's going along when when you visit uh, the site? Well, first of all, I'd like to introduce myself uh, in my traditional way. How daguchiya makayu chanchamagi abudeshana jamachano tabekhawakba and watu. 
And in, in the English language, what I said in our Cinnaboyne language is that I, I greeted everybody and I greet everybody. And my Cinnaboyne name is Shakespeare. I belong to the Red Bottom Clan of the Assiniboine Nation. And I live here in Broad Creek, also known as Wolf Point, Montana. I've, I've been able to visit the, the confluence of the Milk River and the Missouri, um, approximately a mile, half a mile from the Fort Peck Dam. And what I see is pristine, clear waters with, with um, abundant life. And when the, when the two rivers join, it, it becomes what's known as our Manishoche. It's, um, it's already the Manishoche. It's already a swirling water. It's, that's our traditional name for, for the Missouri River. Um, here in Wolf Point, we live um, approximately 75 to 82 river miles down south from that confluence. Um, on the, the proposed KXL pipeline, um, I've been able to uh, visit where the proposed crossing is right there at the confluence. And um, I understand there's some other water crossings. And when we had gone up, from, from my perspective, I think that we need to start with prayer. And it just um, so happened to be that that was one way around the the, uh, the permit to go up there that would might take a month, two months to go up there to, to actually um, demonstrate or do a land protection um, action, um, nonviolent direct action. Um, so we went up there and we, we conducted a, a pipe ceremony and our, our elders and, and females or our nieces, they had conducted a, a water ceremony. And what we had seen um, from, from my perspective, there was a, um, a little camping ground there. You could see a um, border patrol station there. Um, I believe we were on a Bureau of Land Management uh, campsite. So we were able to to coordinate and network with uh, the the sheriff's departments there, the Valley County Sheriff. He was uh, he's been very instrumental and very helpful. And um, the whole point of um, having them cooperate with, with us is to avoid what had happened down in Standing Rock. I, I told them that as far as I'm concerned, um, I don't want to see any of my people being hit with uh, uh, pepper spray being hosed with weaponized um, water in sub-zero temperatures, um, getting their eye, you know, eyeballs blown out with, uh, with um, different uh, non-lethals and, and things like that, like what we had seen down at Standing Rock. Um, what we had seen was, um, and basically what, what, what they do is they, they tear up the ground and <clears throat> they prepare to, to lay the pipe um, and they actually um, put the pipe in the in the ground and they cover it back up. Um, the the big problem with that is, of course, this is a tar sand, a diluted tar sand bitumen that is um, uses a uses a utilizes a benzene dilute, which is uh, you know protected by a, a trade trade secret, I believe the, the ingredients, the exact ingredients. But um, our main concern is that um, this uh, the, the reality is that pipelines deteriorate. Um, and what my narrative would, you know, the, the narrative that I would like to convey is that we need to keep, keep it in the ground. We need to keep that um, Alberta tar sand bitumen in, into the ground. We don't need it to cross our waterways, to go through our land, to desecrate our uh, sacred sites that we have along that proposed pipeline route. But I believe that they did get clearance to to lay that pipe down. So we had, um, what I had seen was uh, 
different construction workers uh, as we were conducting the ceremony. Um, there were a number of uh, um, security that um, that had lined up along the dirt road up there. So we didn't get any direct uh, access, but we did um, drive through the area. Um, we're able to stop and then um, do a couple uh, broadcasts from from our um, from our cameras and everything like that. Take some photo ops and kind of share a message, and then we were told to to hurry up and pack up and leave. And, and as we were leaving, um, I, I was able to see um, these these pipelines, these segments that were being transported on um, large uh, semi trucks that. Um, protected by border patrol or the homeland security trucks thanks mr chairman we have a lot to unpack here and uh i do want to get to um uh, the water quality and the Standing Rock. Uh, first and foremost, though, TC Energy, formerly TransCanada, um, what is your assessment of how they've been communicating uh, and or working with the tribe, if at all? Um, it, it broke down about a year ago. Um, there was a couple of meetings that uh, TransCanada or TC Energy refused to come on the reservation. And so they would meet with the tribes in Mile City, uh, several times and uh and they had promised to have a public hearing in on the reservation uh they promised to come here and meet with the tribes but they have not fulfilled that yet and uh communication is just completely broken down right now and, and then now with the litigation the tribes aren't saying anything because of that it, the main purpose of the litigation was that the tribes felt there earlier that any input um about their environmental and cultural site concerns were completely ignored and uh there are cultural sites along the path there and so they're pretty concerned about those being destroyed thanks rich and and you were telling me earlier that you spent some time um at standing rock during the uh the protests out there a couple years ago what did you learn there that can apply here in terms of communication and cooperation and expecting uh as as the chairman was was saying some pretty forceful opposition on the other side what 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 can we expect in the the weeks and months ahead based on what you've learned well standing rock um as the company kind of appeared to, to kind of back away from any communication with the tribe or the people. Um, the people really united, you know, and there were tribal members from all over the country and a, a lot from Fort Peck because historically Standing Rock and Fort Peck, the Sioux tribes, they're pretty heavily connected. There's a lot of family members and they were once a band that was together, but were separated, you know, when the reservations were formed. So there's a lot of people from Fort Peck that have land at Standing Rock. And so a lot of people went down there, you know, to help out and to protest and, um, and just to see that united front and, uh, what had happened when Obama stopped the construction at that time, but which has since been reversed. And, uh, that was kind of nice to see. And we're hoping more people are become aware and, you know, and learn what's going on and how this will affect the tribes. I mean, there's going to be 830,000 gallons of crude oil coming through that pipeline. And if it breaks, it's going to destroy the tribe's water supply. The tribes have a $300 million water system, you know, that, you know, when it's done, it's going to, when when complete, there's going to be over 30,000 people in Northeast Montana, Indian and non-Indian who benefit from that. And I think more people are coming aware, becoming aware 
of how they're going to be affected if that pipeline breaks underneath the Missouri. When I was in Poplar a couple years ago learning about this with the council, they, they pointed to a map on the wall of where exactly the pipeline is supposed to cross the Missouri River. And it's, it's I mean, it's striking how close it is to the boundary of the reservation. Um, yeah. And Mr. Chairman, you were saying it, it purposefully skirted that. But uh, I mean, the, one of the other things that I, I learned in that meeting is that there are fault line considerations. Um, and even though this pipeline would go beneath the river, um, the, the earth doesn't stay still. Um, Mr. Chairman, what are your thoughts about, um, in context of clean water, what we're preparing for here? Well, we believe, of course, um, water is life. Uh, we don't have a price tag for for water. Um, uh, last night, I, I looked up on uh, on the internet really quick about um, the going price of, of water. Um, and uh, I basically came up with if we were to put a, um, a price tag to the amount of water that uh, we're entitled to, it's, uh, it's basically $125,475,000 per year that we're entitled to. So when, when you think about um, uh, in, in those terms, you know, it's like it becomes an economic impact. Um, you know, economically, we can say that they're um, – uh, they're eating away at that, at that uh, resource that we have that we're entitled to through our water rights. Um, the the quality of our water, like I said, it's it's pristine. It's um, when you go to the confluence of the milk and the Missouri River right there, um, you can you can literally throw a stone, you can throw a frisbee or whatever you want to throw across the the, the milk river and hit the southwest corner of the Fort Peck Reservation, which spans about a 110 by, I believe, 60 or so miles. If you look at Oklahoma and all the, the different uh, development they have down there, <clears throat> you can see that there's, there's different seismic activity. You know, you, you, have, uh, you have different types of drilling, horizontal drilling. Um, you have uh, fracking and things like that. So you're, you're, you're uh, chipping away at uh, and taking away the fluids, the, 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 the different things that, that our, our Mother Earth has, has uh been developing for since the you know the origin of the planet we, we can't put a price tag on that water because the the people the number of people that um, self-identify as native american between these four counties here only um, compose about 33 percent of the population so we have 33 percent of the population so the other 66 percent um that we're standing up for they, they need to open their eyes and they need to understand this isn't about race this isn't about um, anything else but water is like. Rich Peterson, you've been covering politics and, and happenings in northeastern Montana for a long time. What What's the most surprising thing that you've learned in your coverage of KXL over the past decade or so? Um, how they've completely ignored the tribe. <laughs> you know, um, most people or organizations will reach out and work with the tribe. And, you know, we've had some issues here with the Wolf Point Stampede, um, you know, the tribe, it took the tribe to get really forceful and aggressive before the committee met, but they actually eventually didn't. The tribe has, you know, reached out to a lot of people and um, and they've responded, but with uh, TC Energy or TransCanada, they've just completely ignored the tribes. And, uh, and I find that really surprising, you know, the, um, that they would do that. 
you know, and there's just so much distrust and even more so last year, TC Energy hired a former tribal councilman as their tribal liaison. And so the tribes kind of look at that as a infiltration or a traitorship, you know, there. And it's just the relationship just, it was never really fully developed. And, it, and what was developed was has slowly deteriorated into what you see now with the court action. And one thing I would like to add, too, is uh, five years ago, there was a slight earthquake between Poplar and Brockton. <laughs> and there's an active fault line there. And, um, you know, it, people, some people felt it. So, you know, I was at a gym at the time on a treadmill and I felt it. <laughs> and, uh, so there's, there is an active fault line around on the reservation and the tribes try to get the company to reroute the pipeline. They worked with them. They developed, they brought in their own engineers to help out. But that was ignored also. Uh, and what's what's the recourse been? Has it just been trying to get the company in Canada to communicate with you, or are they just ignoring you? What What's the recourse? Yeah, they're pretty much ignored. Um, they held a public hearing, but it was in Glasgow, and there was no tribal participation in that whatsoever. <laughs> so. Gotcha. Chairman Forstar, um, what can people do if they want to learn more about what's happening uh, up in northeastern Montana regarding the KXL pipeline to make their voices heard no matter where they live, especially if they're watching this from a social distance. Um, how can people be involved? What can they do? We'd love to hear your perspective. Well, of course, we have to use our imagination and we have to um, work create in, a, in creative mode to find solutions um, to work with the current global pandemic. Of course, we don't want to undermine anybody's existence. And that's the whole purpose of of, of this the struggle that we, we find ourselves in. And the coronavirus has basically unified the planet. I, I was about to say it's not about race and, and things like that, but when you when you look at healthcare and access to healthcare and things like that, the, it really does come down to to race and um, and privilege and things like that. For TC Energy to um, bring out of staters in, into the area, um, especially from hotspots and um, we don't know the impact. I don't know if it can be measured, um, but if you use your imagination, you can see that um, bringing bringing in people to this area is is essentially like bringing uh, another form of smallpox blankets. So, also as the chairman, I've been on and off the chairman on a voluntary basis of my tribe. Um, so I've had to make some decisions. We've we've gone on record to oppose the Keystone XL pipeline. Also, our Wolf Point community organization has gone on record to oppose the Keystone XL pipeline. Um, we we really need to um, to to be mindful that the people here um, and our ceremonies, our traditional way of life, um, needs to be protected. Um, we've been here since time immemorial. We know that we've been here for at least uh, possibly eleven thousand years, and we're basically about three percent of the survivors. Um, that once existed in this area. So our, our tribe was decimated by about 97% um, due to the smallpox epidemic. And you, if you look at that, and if, if you don't learn your, learn, learn his, you know, learn your lessons from history, it's, it's basically outsiders coming in, um, you know, of course, for through different uh, motivations and to, to exist also, you know, we, we coexist today, but the reality that we've all inherited is that we need to look at the past, learn from the past. So the, the one way that um, people from a distance can um, can help 
is to, of course, uh, uh, register to vote, to take the census, um, especially our, our people here in this area, and start from the ground up, put people in office that um, will make right decisions the, for the people, um, not just Native Americans, not just people of the Cinnaboyne tribe, but the Cinnaboyne and Sioux tribe, the people of Northeast Montana, the people of Montana, the, and our citizens of the United States of America. We need to to, to really um, place a lot of value in, into our representation. Um, of course, social media is a great way to, to, to become aware. You have to utilize critical thinking. So you have to look at the source of the of the material and understand that there's a definite um, outside um, agitation that's going on. Maybe some bots that are, that, that are, um, that have been uh, integrated into the social media platforms. Um, so you really need to, to, to look for the truth. Basically when they've um, tried to put uh, shove this pipeline through the area here, um, despite the fact that we're going through a global pandemic and, um, and even before the COVID-19, it's, it just was wrong. And it just it doesn't make any sense because things deteriorate. If there was any uh, uh, detriment to the pipeline, um, they, they could uh, you know, potentially poison all of us up here. And, uh, things can be replaced, but people can't. So um, that's, that's our main message today is that um, that's my main uh, narrative I like to convey is that people need to be involved, register to vote, um, become uh, active civically. Um, but also be aware that um, we have real concerns up here. We, we really don't need outsiders to come up to Northeast Montana until we find a vaccine. Thanks, Chairman Forstar, and we hear you loud and clear. Um, Rich Peterson with the Fort Peck Journal. Uh, anything you'd like to add to, to close us out? Um, people should be aware of their treaty rights. You know, the, the lands, the pipeline is on, that's under the original treaty um, with the tribes and the federal government. And and we do have a say in, you know, what goes on there, but, you know, obviously that's being ignored and uh, for people to get informed. I like to add that the Indigenous Environmental Network, people like uh, Joy Braun and um, Dallas Goldtooth, they're essential in communicating with, with other people. Um, they oftentimes um, put some pretty good posts out on, um, on Facebook. They were uh, really, um, uh, they provided a lot of leadership down at the Oshetti Shakowin at the um, at Standing Rock. So they, they've learned a lot of lessons and they've they fought this KXL before. Um, if, if you, I'll quote Dallas Goldtooth Jr. as, um, I believe he's a junior, but he's, he basically says that this is a, a zombie pipeline that they've killed it before, but it's coming back to life. It uh, keeps on trying to come back to life. So uh, uh, one thing that's kind of interesting, um, Aaron, is that um, Dallas Goldtooth, who's kind of a leader in the, a national leader in this anti-pipeline movement. And he said that because of Standing Rock and because of other protests that TransCanada's name was so drugged through the mud that they had to change it. You know, that's why they changed it to, to TC Energy. And it just kind of shows what kind of influence people can have in uh, making change. <laughs> really good point. We appreciate your time. And by the way, let's make zombie pipelines thick. <laughs> I like it. Rich Peterson with the Fort Peck Journal calling in from Poplar and uh, Lance Forstar of Western Native Voice and chairman of the Fort Peck Assiniboine Council in Wolf Point. Thank you both. You're welcome. Thank you. 
Before we go, Jake Brown, we've got a voting rights victory to make note of, thanks to the hard work of our friends at Western Native Voice and others. That's right, Murph. Our Native and rural communities had a big win when District Judge Jessica Fair issued a ruling that prevents the Ballot Interference Protection Act from being enforced. This law, often referred to as BIPA, is the voter-approved law that made it illegal to drop off other people's ballots at your local election office. The clunky law made it so that if you're going to drop off, let's say, your spouse's ballot, you had to sign a legal document with your personal information on it. The poorly conceived law, what it essentially did is that it suppresses voter turnout in tribal communities. And that's actually one of the reasons Judge Fair blocked it. She said that law would significantly suppress voter turnout by disproportionately harming rural communities. This ruling is a big win for voting rights and a big win for our tribal communities. And that means it's a big win for us. Thanks, Jake. A reminder that all back episodes of MCV Cast are available on our website, mtvoters.org slash podcast, and wherever you find your podcasts. Find us also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at mtvoters. In our show notes, there's a link to an interview I did a few days ago with the Billings Community Foundation about the Montana Conservation Voters Education Fund. We invite you to check it out and learn more about how our organization works. Now Whitney will sign us off as we honor the life of one of Montana's most impactful conservation champions. We lost a true conservation champion in Montana last week, Jim Posowitz of Helena, better known as Paz. Paz was also my late father's best friend and my unofficial godfather. The happy warrior, he worked for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks for more than three decades, fighting to protect our right to a clean and healthful environment. Paz wrote over a half a dozen books guiding new hunters on ethics and their critical role in protecting our most special places, a biography on Teddy Roosevelt and his own autobiography, My Best Shot. Paz also founded the Orion Institute and was a founding member of the Cinnabar Foundation, Helena Hunters and Anglers Association, the Teller Wildlife Refuge where my dad is buried, the Forever Wild Endowment, and the Montana Outdoor Hall of Fame. Paz touched so many lives in Montana and across the Western country. I know I'll miss his forever glass half full outlook and steadfast counsel on life and all things conservation. Here's to you, old friend. You're looking good. When we talk about the things that most Montanas value, it's the things that we have failed to exploit, the things we have nurtured, preserved, and restored that give us our greatest sense of pride. A Montana with wild places for the next generation to, to be young in.